The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 43. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series movies, and more. Today we're discussing Through the Valley of Shadows, the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very good. So, folks, we've got some feedback we're going to share with you at the end of this episode, so stick around for that. And before we get into our discussion, I just want to remind you to be sure to, if you have not yet done so, subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube where you can hit the bell to get notifications whenever we post new episodes. So if you're not yet subscribed, please do so. That that actually is uh, the best way to make sure that you're not missing anything. So uh, we're we're now talking about this episode. It's entitled Through the Valley of Shadows. And I just want to stop and take a moment because this, this is in our ballpark here. Uh, what this means, what is the Through the Valley of Shadows means? And I'm going to guess this is a a clear reference to the Psalm, Psalm 23, 23. Yeah, verse yeah. four. Um, but so let, they've it as usual. Yes. So here's the, the con- some, something, something they've been doing this season is seeming to make literary allusions with the titles of episodes, but changing them a little bit like point of light instead of points of light. Yes. So I just want to give a little bit of the context of Psalm 23 to understand. Maybe we could talk about where, uh, where you know why they might have chosen this and so it's a uh, the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me thou prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies thou anointest my head with oil my cup overflows Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, Psalm 23. And so, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. And so this is through the valley of shadows. Yeah, and that would seem to allude to a vision that Captain Pike has later in the episode. Yes, yes, which we're, we're going to definitely but also, talk But also, about. I would argue, it could also be they're, they're fighting with control right. in the person of the former crewmate. And control, in a way, is a is shadow of death. It's the mm-hmm. it it's mm-hmm. bringing death to people. It's it's the it's a pro- future. It has in the future a unrealized as yet future has brought death to every sentient life in the galaxy. So it is it is sort of we're we're walking through this val the shadow of death, trying to get to the end of it. Um, so who walks beside them in discovery? Well, they've implied, and this may have been more explicit in the original version of some of these episodes, 
that Captain Pike has a belief in in God, in providence, that they're mm-hmm. being led providentially through these events. And they and, kind of they, they're pretty explicit about that, actually, at the very end of this episode, about how he was meant to be there and they were meant to be involved in all this. And in some ways, they've kind of in a more uh, um, in a more a less spiritual sense. The Red Angel has also sort of accompanied them. They've sort of relied on the Red Angel to guide them. But yeah, you're right, Father Corey. He, Pike alludes to somebody you know m- meant for him to be there. That his this was what his what he is. I don't want to say fated, but destined or meant to do. And uh, and that's that's right there as well and it's only unfortunate that if there was more to this that they couldn't have manned up like battlestar galactica and just done the religion instead of having to reshoot and tone it way way down to the point that it doesn't make sense like they did with the hughes soul becomes hughes energy is back yep well you know it it is funny because I'd heard, I can't remember if it was an article I'd read from one of the producers or just speculation from like other podcasters or something like that. But, you know, this idea of, oh, they're, 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 they're not having as much religion in this because they want to stay true to Gene Roddenberry's vision that they're, you know, more of the secular humanist vision. And it's kind of like, yeah, this is about the only thing that they seem to want to stay true to Gene Roddenberry's vision for this series. Incidentally, another character that they that they seem to be indicating is religious is Janet Reno. She because she I mean, when we first met her, one of the first things she said was, thank Christ. And in this one, she says, thank God. But when she's talking about her her wedding, she says that that they had to have non-denominational shuttle parking. (laughs) So that would that would indicate that these religion references with her aren't just aren't aren't just casual uh right. you know sayings there's there's some actual content there right so right. is, is I, I do have to ask is there a difference between a catholic and protestant shuttle <laughs> we have smells and bells in the catholic one it, it it depends on on whether you when you christen the shuttle whether you just whack it with a bottle of champagne or fully immerse it in champagne <laughs> there you go <laughs> you bless it with holy water that's the question uh yeah. so, so we start off with the Michael replaying one of her mom's mission logs. And we, we hear again, when we heard this several times in some of the other logs, Gabrielle promising Michael that she'd come back for her and her father. Mm-hmm. And so yep. I'm guessing this, that, that this means that she intends at, she's always intended at some point to go back to the point in time on Doctari Alpha, where she can save them from the Klingon attack, which if she does that, how does that affect our timeline? It changes it, doesn't it? It changes. It means Michael never be, never goes to live with Sarek and Amanda. Yeah. So I I don't see an easy way. I mean, they could retcon it, and it would be okay. But I don't see an easy way for her at this point to yank Michael out of there. But I think she could yank Dad out of there without it affecting anything because he was believed to be dead. Right. And- I do. I do think some people think that this is how. They're going to try to reconcile the the timelines, the what we knew of before Discovery was created as the original series timeline, the, the prime timeline and what the changes they've made with like Spock having a half sister, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leland also said he saw the bodies of Michael's parents, so they need to come up with some bodies from somewhere. Right, right. So maybe what happens is Gabrielle goes back to try to 
save the dad and ends up both of them dying there. Or she does save the dad, but leaves these bodies to avoid interfering with the timeline. Uh, I guess. Yeah. Although you'd have to come up with some sort of DNA clone thing. Whatever. Oh, so, like that's hard. Yeah, we'll have some hand wavium uh, <laughs> applied <laughs> to something and yeah, I, we'll I reverse the polarity. See, I hate to say it, but the, the, um, the people who want to want to see the whole discovery timeline reversed. Unfortunately, it seems like a few more bitter grapes, you know, kind of wishful thinking that, oh, we'll just they'll just kind of flip a switch. And all of a sudden, all that had never happened. <laughs> Season one and two never happened. Yes, and uh, that's not going to happen. If you don't like them, just eject them from prime canon in your head. You don't have right. to accept what they give you. Head canon is perfectly acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> I, I liked how the reason she's not going back in the mission log is she says when the time storm passes. Right. So, yay, there's such a thing as a time storm. Because everything's cooler when you add time to it. And, <laughs> and you you know who else had, got caught up in a time storm? Ace from Doctor Who. That's how she yeah. ended up in on the Dragonfire planet. She was back on Earth and got caught up in a time storm. Those time storms. Yeah. I mean, just get, we need a time weather channel. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we have a signal. Uh, one of the red signals has appeared over Boreth. I'm a little confused about the red signals. I have to admit. Mm -hmm. We're meant to be at this point. Mm -hmm. So what is it? So so Pike and everyone keeps talking about, oh, there are seven signals, but they're but they're now occurring one at a time. How do they like? So did seven signals appear and then disappear? And, and, and now they're and, yeah. trying to follow seven, up? Seven appeared all at once and then all but one disappeared. Yeah, and they didn't keep track of where the seven had appeared. This is where it gets hand wavy because <laughs> it, they seem to imply that um, they both had records of where they were, but then they couldn't scan them properly for some reason. Oh, right. It, it affected the computers for some. For some reason, yeah, they couldn't get coordinates on them or plot even just get kind of a general. They're that way. Yeah. <laughs> for plot reasons, we couldn't. They affected our computers and that's what and it messed up Enterprise, which. We've never really dealt with why why the Red Angel, whoever's creating the signals, which we're not quite sure yet still. Oh, it's Michael. It's totally Michael. <laughs> using, but using some sort of technology that we're not quite sure of yet. Yeah. But it, hopefully they close that loop. Let's just hope they do that. Oh, they will. They, they, I mean, they were dropping multiple hints on it in this episode. I mean, right at the beginning, uh, Spock says that since the Red Angel suit is out of commission now and... Uh, and, and it, and mom said she didn't know anything about the red signals. Spock concludes at the beginning of this episode, the signals are created by another time traveling entity, which was something he proposed in the previous episode that it's not control. It's not the red angel. It's some third entity. And here he specifies it to a third time traveling entity. And so here they, later in the episode, he's talking to Michael about the, uh, the, red signals and where they appear and he says they've taken an interest in in discovery and in me and in uh the red angel the common denominator is you right so i wonder so, what that could mean uh, michael yeah and, and 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 then um all of a sudden control wants to like totally co-opt and go after michael because she's a threat to right. its future. Yep. And it's like, well, okay, so all of this is pointing at Michael's the one responsible and they get a new time crystal in this episode. So somehow using that time crystal, 
uh, Michael is responsible for the signals. Well, what, what irritated me is the, 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 again, the trap they always fall into when they're talking about time travel, especially in Star Trek, is that they, they take it so linearly so that, okay, the time crystal has been destroyed in our timeline. Yeah. However, that doesn't mean the Red Angel couldn't, so again, you know, they did say it wasn't the Red Angel, but the Red Angel couldn't have put all the signals and then ended up where right. the crystal got destroyed. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I said. You know, Tyler knows the time crystal was destroyed, so it can't be Gabrielle. But like, it's that linear thinking. You know, maybe this mm-hmm. is an early Gabrielle or a later Gabrielle or somebody totally different. <laughs> yeah, now, the writers need to go watch Back to the Future. You know, the, the whole trilogy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, at least at least in Doctor Who, they do stuff like you know the fixed points in time and stuff like that, where they can right. explain that a little bit. Right. Right. Yeah. They they have no such excuse here. So that we do have this signal appears over the Klingon planet of Boreth with, to remind everyone, this is where uh, Tyler and Lorel's son was hidden uh, because they didn't want the rest of the Klingons to know that they had a son. And uh, so he's, he was hidden in this monastery that nobody can go to. If they do go to it, they can't beam away from it. They established that in that prior episode, by the way. Mm-hmm. Suddenly... People come to this place and they they go through this challenge and don't uh, don't survive it or don't or aren't able to um to, uh, to to well they survive it but they aren't able to complete the challenge so suddenly that's it's okay now you can land and leave apparently yeah they well maybe they have a security field they turn on and off right well but I mean they they made it seem like that for that prior episode like no one ever leaves Boreth I mean that they 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 really kind of made it a big a big deal. And it just kind of annoys me that they just a handful of episodes later we're we're changing that. Well, you should have you should have like this all of this series season was completely filmed before you released it. You could have gone back and edited that out. You know, mm. and done it changed it in pickups. That's just I I feel like it's a little sloppy. And and so even before this though, uh Boreth is also the planet. The reason it's important it historically is that it's the planet the star that Kalos the unforgettable pointed to and right. said I'm going to return there and so that's why the Klingons built a monastery there to await the return of Kalos right or as they've taken to saying it in this series Kalesh yeah the the yep. the, the new received pronunciation of Klingon. <laughs> 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 so uh we find out uh, that discovery we uh, so Discovery's going to go and check out Boreth and the signal. And Michael's like, hey, why are we looking for Leland? We're supposed to be looking for Leland. And they explained to her quite reasonably, I think, that yeah. Discovery mm-hmm. isn't part of the search because they're carrying around the sphere data. They need to stay away from Leland slash control yeah. as much yep. as possible. Uh, they need to stay out of his way. In fact, they should probably use the, the spore drive to jump to the other side of the galaxy and stay there for a while uh, out of the way. That would be my guess for the until the, until Leland's destroyed but hey you know I'm not in charge of Starfleet uh, <laughs> well they do have this red signal someone needs to investigate yes and there are no though not none, and none of the other 7000 ships in Starfleet are able to go do that this just can't be that competent i know we have to have a series and have our 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 uh, heroes but it just it's, it's a whole and they they are unusually qualified to to investigate red signals compared to other ships yeah 
and, and just remember that th- this is this is the same type of writing that has the spore data that can't be deleted unless you download it somewhere else, and then you can delete it from your then, system. Then it says, "Oh yeah. yeah, I have a copy over there." So th- yeah, you can delete me. <laughs> so Tyler, of course, acts squirrely about Borath because his yeah. his child with Laurel is there, uh, and then he at least. But the thing is, the one thing I like is that. He doesn't act squirrely about it through the whole episode, and we have the have to endure Michael trying to tease it out of him. He gives it up right mm-hmm. off the bat, like he like yeah. Okay. Wow, they actually figured out how to do that in the writing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he he says, "I have a son with your Volk has a son with Laurel. It's not really me, mm-hmm. uh, whatever." Sounds like semantics to me, but um, Michael Laurel is my baby, mommy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's like a bad like Real Housewives of Borth. Uh, Michael says she she wishes Ash told her told her about this so he wouldn't have had to carry the burden alone. And he says, yeah, we're both we both tend to do that, don't we? And I'm like, oh, snap. He got her with that. one. <laughs> that, was good. that was a good line. Yeah, that was good. Uh, so we find out that Borth has time crystals. And uh, that's one of the that's one of the reasons the monastery exists. So we've retro canon that that bit. Yeah. Also, way, I like, retro- I like the. We've, we've retconned the surface of Borath. It's like totally had Abaddon now. It's like a volcanic planet whose crust isn't even fully formed. I'm looking at it from space and going, there's no way that thing is class M. It's Mustafar. Yeah. <laughs> from Star Wars. What were you going to yeah. say, Father Corey? Well, I like the fact they, they, they show the new D7 Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, the new Klingon everybody D7. that was upset about the, the way the Klingon ships look should be happier now, because at least they right. look like the classic Klingon ships. Right. They mentioned that early, again, early in the season with that. Uh, now that the empire has been united, they're going to have a new uh, Klingon fleet that had that with new ships that are unlike the house ships. Uh, and so this is a new design. And so, yeah, I, I like seeing the classic Klingon ship there. That's nice. Uh, so Tyler has to remain unseen by Klingons because they see, they think there's, they think he's dead. He's part of the roots. Because he's dead, the baby's dead. Lorella's unattached and can stand uh, firm. But you know, serving on a Starfleet ship, uh, serving in Starfleet, doesn't that make it more, not less likely he's going to run except, into Klingons? Well, except he's Section Thirty-One, so they're a covert operation. He's <laughs> not that covert. you know, and well, <laughs> you know, it's still a little like okay, he's not yeah. he's not working in public. Right, right. That's true. It's true. Uh, it's, that and was and funny. and presumably he could wear a, a changeling net or whatever the Starfleet equivalent is for any kind of covert <laughs> mission involving Klingons. Except in this case, they won't they won't even let him beam down. Uh, yeah, presumably because he would reveal himself because of his son. Uh, yeah. So there's this fun, and then there's this funny little domestic little uh, tiff between Laurel and Tyler, and so Pike jumps in to this fight between Klingons. Uh, and volunteers to go in their stead. Uh, mm-hmm. Apparently, if you get too upset, the uh, the universal translator can't handle it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah I, the, the I, translator's like yelling Klingon spouses. Nope, nope. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Was, that was actually. I, I thought that was that was well, well handled. I like that scene though because they they start arguing in English, and then switch over to Klingon. Yeah, and it's just mm-hmm. like okay, yeah, that that's good. That, that and you can see Pike looking at him, going like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could also see the translator, and this is just head cannoning, but I could imagine the translator having a built-in. Anytime the conversation gets too intense and they switch languages, let them have their privacy. <laughs> right. The AI. There's enough AI there, I would assume. Yeah. 
I also liked in this conversation, there's a, a Laurel has a line about um, time crystals are a weapon like no other. So we no longer exploit them. And that would suggest the Klingons like previously had a time war or right. something. And they learned you don't want to mess with the timeline. So we're just going to even Klingons have a, know about a weapon they don't want to use. Right. <laughs> right. We, we knew that we knew that they were they had some temporal weapons development. But yeah, we didn't know what had happened to it. And like you said, it implies that something happened and they kind of went, uh, this is even too much for us. And so it gives us some resonance to the, the attack on Doctari Alpha. It wasn't that they were going to attack to necessarily to steal the suit that uh, that that Gabrielle was developing. They were but just shut shut down the weapon. They right. Perceived. It's too dangerous for anyone to have this type of uh, technology. It's very interesting. They have their own sort of Section 31 uh uh, uh, mission <laughs> going there. So Burnham finds out that uh, there's a Section 31 ship that has missed its check-in. They're supposed to check in every hour on the hour, and this one checked in late, so therefore something must be amiss. And so ten she, minutes. Ten minutes late. Man, don't ever be ten minutes late with Michael Burnham. Uh, yeah, it's going to assume you're dead. <laughs> with, with, with all of the time travel we have in this series, you can't be 10 minutes late through an innocent, you know, sorry, guys, wormhole. What are you going to do? Yeah, <laughs> right. sorry. Well, well, there's the whole, you know, relativity with time and everything, you know, well, we were at warp and so our signal got missed. Yeah, or something. Yeah. So anyway, she says she correctly assumes that that uh, controls is has something to do with it. So she comes up with this plan to take a shuttle and go over there, and check it out. And she's she and, and Tyler has given her the data to go do this covert mission. So he like gives her a device of some kind that that was what alerted him to the failure to check in. So uh, he's actively helping her around Captain Pike, seemingly. Although, well, no, okay, she gets approval from Saru. Well, that's the interesting thing I was going to mention is that Saru, like, she thinks he's gonna she's gonna have to fight him to go, and Saru quickly agrees to the plan. And uh, it says that the that after his Vaharai, he's a different kind of captain than he used than he was before because he's acting captain with with uh, um, Pike down on the planet, and uh, so he speculates that the Kaminar red signal, uh, which allowed him to go through the change, was intended to help him to become a better captain to help solve this problem, hmm. which okay. is interesting. So the that sort of fills up a gap that I that I had noticed, which is what was the point of that whole episode? But maybe that's what it is. It was Saru needed to be a different kind of captain. And they they hang a lantern on that um, because they ha in the shuttle in a scene that comes up, they have Spock and Michael saying, so what's the purpose of these signals? What's the pattern that connects them? And Spock says, we don't have enough context yet to figure out what they're trying to do. But you're the common element, Michael. So you figure it out because you're going to have to cause them. Right. Uh, so uh, we, we, we then switch to Pike, who is uh, beamed down to Boreth. And we find out the key bit of data, which is that the Klingons apparently prefer Gothic architecture. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Got all these vaulted arches. Yes, it was very. Uh, I'm, I'm curious now where they did they film this in a location or did they build a set that looked like a, See, it, a, it a looked church, similar. medieval church? It looked familiar. It looked familiar, but I don't know what it would have been. But maybe a pre-existing set from some other show could have or been a or a church. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, what it looked like was cathedral meets land of the lost with all those glowing time crystals all over the walls. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. 
they filmed Discovery in in uh in is it Vancouver? I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. That that would be because I don't. Yeah, I'd be curious. Uh, anyway, we have uh, the Klingon uh, Abbot, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, he's the, the, head, monk. Monk, the head monk who uh, looks he, like and, a Minbari. I was going to say he's a Min- <laughs> yeah. Tanavik is a Minbari Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that the headdress sort of thing, and uh, he's a albino. And we find out that he is the son of of, of Valk and Laurel, and he's. All grown up. Uh, all grown up. Uh, he's gone through the change. Uh, he's apparently. And uh, because of the time crystal hand wavy. So Pike convinced, convinces Tanavik to let him try to win a crystal, even though no one has ever done so before, uh, without going mm. insane. Uh, or without, lot, without a great personal cost, is what Laurel says. Okay. Mm. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, uh, as Burnham is, is getting ready to take uh, Discovery's shuttle off on her hunt, Spock shows up, and then we get sibling road trip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I love the brother sister dynamic because she's been calling him brother for yes. a while, and it's like I'm getting on board now, sister. <laughs> right, right. Yes, it's 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 a fun little dynamic they get going there. I, I kind of like it. Uh, Although he's not thinking four dimensionally enough because he tells her the Red Angel will not be here to save you this time. It's like time travel, dude. Exactly. The Red Angel could totally be here to save me. Well, I thought his dyslexia allowed him to think in these fourth dimensional ways. <laughs> it's very confusing. Uh, so then we have the mess hall. We have a fun little scene where they're, uh, the crew are all playing the auto antonym game. Yeah. Uh, how does that go again? I wrote it down, but it was, it's... It... So an auto antonym is a word that can be interpreted. It's also known as a contronym or a Janus word um, after the god Janus that goes in both directions. Um, it's a word that can mean one thing or it can mean it's opposite. Oh. So for example, cleave can either mean to cling as in Adam, cl- this is why a man cleaves to his wife, or it can mean to split apart as in he took an ax and cleaved the wood. Oh, okay. Is that like inflammable means both flammable and not flammable? Well, that's only it. You could count that uh, that way these days. Technically, um, inflammable, it does not mean unable to burn historically. That's a modern usage. So that's oh, okay. a folk application. It it meant historically is capable of being put in flames and therefore inflammable. Right. Okay. And that's, yeah. So they used oversight as, as one of them where, mm-hmm. you know, either you've got someone who's watching over everything that's going on or something gets missed yeah right 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 so uh so this this game's being played by uh Owosikon, detmer nilsen and linus the sorry who apparently yeah. is really good at it <laughs> i was hatched ready <laughs> he even does a mic drop at the uh, once he when he gets it which is a lot of fun uh and uh janet reno is there she finds a, a glum looking stamets <laughs> i just love <laughs> we call her janet reno and it, uh, it fits, you it know. It does. And, it's uh, a haircut, so I mean, no. Yes. Uh, then uh, she sees Stamets being glum about Hugh. He's mooning over Hugh across the room, uh, who comes in. And so she goes, and basically she gives uh, Hugh what for? Like, stop, you know, stop being a jerk about it. You know, you're going to end up back with them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And she did the same thing to Dr. Kolber last episode. So she's playing matchmaker on both ends. Right, right. So we're we're trying to fix that. So uh, then we uh, we find it turns out that the uh, we found out that the abbot or the the, the head monk is uh, Tyler's son who calls himself son of none. 
Tanavik, um, and uh, tells him that time works differently there. And then they we get to see they grow a tree to prove it for him. Yes, very quickly. Um, so time passes differently. Uh, we find out uh, from uh, I'm kind of jumping around because it's like like they've been doing a lot lately. They keep jumping from one thing to another. Uh, so if you stop me if there's something in in one of these scenes that you want to talk about. But uh, you know, the only only thing I want to say, you know, kind of the idea that that the way time operates on this planet is uh, it, it actually almost seems kind of consistent. If this is a planet where time crystals naturally grow, you would think that then there would be something about the way time operates on that planet. So that actually, you know, for for the storyline they set up, that that actually is is pretty consistent that time on the planet would be very different than off of the planet. Right, right. That's a good point. That and and if. And it also kind of would explain why they would think Kalis could show up there in the future, because if time is uh, operates weird, differently, then that makes sense. Uh, he also tells Pike that if he's going to try to take a crystal, he's going to have to learn his own purpose, which is interesting uh, foreshadowing there. Yeah, and this is a much more mystical form of time travel than we've ever had on Star Trek before. Um, it's like, you're going to be shown by a crystal, you're going to be shown your purpose and fate, and it's going to be really not good. And you're going to have to accept it anyway. And you could avoid it if you don't take the crystal, but once you take the crystal, it bonds with you with a cool little special effect and it becomes a fixed point in your own future that cannot change. And so this is like, this is not, this is not your father's let's just go back in time time travel stuff this is something much more mystical yeah yes it's that's very interesting yeah they it's it's you're, you're you're not traveling in time so much as you're seeing a vision of what the future could or will be and participating it's in fact if i were to compare it to anything in star trek it would be like an orb experience yeah mm -hmm. oh very much oh, yeah. like an in orb fact, experience these, these crystals could in fact be related to the orbs of the prophets mm -hmm. could be uh, you know, Maybe. one thing they kind of use that language of, you know, the veil of the present being dropped. Right. You know, so that you get to see more of time. Which is an interesting comment from a Catholic point of view. That's a very interesting statement, because when we, we talk about like the liturgy, when we go, when we're at mass, as you both know, we're at mass, we are the veil of time is, is pulled aside a bit and we are present at the last supper and at the crucifixion and in the throne room of God, where the la supper of the lamb is taking place. And we are present in all those places at once with everyone who's ever attended a mass throughout time. From a certain point of view, from a certain point of view, it's a poetic. Point I mean, of view. We're, 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 we're not, no, we're not traveling in time, but you know, it's, I've heard it said that, um, you know, that as the host is being held up by the priest, you know, at that moment of consecration, that, from the view of heaven, all of the masses that have ever celebrated and will ever be celebrated are united to the cross, you know? And again, this is, this is, we can't see that, you know, it's not like we're, we're suddenly jumping into a, a, a TARDIS and going to, you know, yeah. we're not in the time for AD 30 <laughs> and to Jerusalem and standing there at the foot of the cross, you know, might get a little there's, crowded. There's no, that. no, no actual time travel is involved. No, <laughs> there should be a but sign as you come into church. But from the no. perspective of God, who is outside of time. <laughs> right. Right. He sees all of it at once. 
So in this scene, you know, Pike has this vision of the accident that will ultimately lead to him being in a, in a wheelchair. And he then has a vision of himself in the wheelchair. And he, he screams at that and he snaps out of the vision and he has to talk himself. Now, when we saw the vision of him on the ship saving the cadets and being exposed to the radiation, I thought to myself, oh, this means that in the future he's heroically sacrificing himself because now he's going to know what's going to happen and he's going to walk onto that ship at some point in the future and 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 know that this is going to happen and he's going he's going to accept that fate anyway even though he could avoid it and that adds to his sacrifice well except not because they they then make it a fixed point in time so now he could avoid it but only now if he takes the time crystal it gets locked in and he can't avoid it and that allows them to dramatize that for us now but i still kind of wish that they hadn't done it that way so that he because it we the audience know this is going to happen to him because we've seen the future on this um so i would kind of prefer to have it instead of having this mystical i'm bonding with this time crystal it's locking in my future thing i would have rather just had the knowledge that he will willingly sacrifice himself to maintain the overall integrity of the timeline i i get that although it does let us see this decision moment uh that he him making the, the decision right we wouldn't get right. to see that we'd, we'd right. have the knowledge that it would happen but this at least lets us see that, participate in that. And I like I when they given the fact that they do it, I like the dialogue where he talks himself up into accepting the crystal, reminding him of the values he stands for as a Starfleet officer, including love, which normally is not on the list of military, as far as I'm aware, uh, aspirations in quite that state in, in the, quite that not way. Those explicit terms. Let's right. Put that yeah. Way. Yeah. 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 Um, also, I thought uh, time crystals are kind of fragile because Tanavik is able to just snap one off. Well, he is a Klingon. <laughs> yeah, but still, this is like quartz. You know, this is it, it, so it, it still struck me as they're kind of fragile. And it struck me that time crystals are also kind of jerks <laughs> because it's apparently everyone who comes here wants a time crystal. What does a time crystal decide to do? Show them the worst thing in their future. If you're going to take me, you got to take you got to accept yeah. the worst possible thing. Got to Got to earn it. <laughs> it's like some kind of self-defense mechanism on the part of time crystals. So then the question is, is, is it only Borth time crystals that do this? Did Gabrielle have to make some Ooh. deal with the devil when she was handling the time crystal for her suit? Interesting. Don't know. Well, did she get the, the pure time, the, 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 the natural time crystal or a, uh, a synthetic one, I think. Well, was it synthetic or was it one that had been, uh, I think they kind of implied it that there's some kind of treatment that needs to be done to the crystal before it could be used. Hmm. And so she's you got know, a, it, a post-processed time crystal. Yeah. That's the word processing. Yeah. Yeah. Like a boxed crystal. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that struck me about this scene of Pike's sacrifice where he gets exposed to the radiation is how very similar it is to Spock's sacrifice on the Enterprise in Wrath of Khan. And given his friendship with Pike, how that moment, you know, in retrospect now, retconning here, 
how th- that moment Spock might have himself been inspired as he is absorbing all this radiation in order to save cadets on a training vessel, uh, ensuring his at least being maimed and, and in his case being killed. And how he would have approached this moment knowing, you know, his own friend, Captain Pike. I just thought that was kind of an interesting comparison of these two. I mean, we always knew that Pike was injured uh, in a training accident on, on a training vessel saving cadets. So that was already there when they created Wrath of Khan. So, but to see it on screen like that makes it makes it different. And I, th- I thought it was a, a cool moment to see. Um, uh, also noticed the that Pike's uniform, he was at that point, a fleet captain. Uh, he had the fleet captain insignia on. Um, and this must be what the show's title is referring to, right? The Valley of the Shadow is uh, the right. The, of death of, and, and the division, the, the shadow it is. We sometimes we, that we poetically talk about visions being sort of shadows of the future. And maybe this is sort of that Valley of the Shadow that, that Pike has to walk through to get to it. Um, just before this, Laurel and, and Valk are having this conversation, um, when they recognize that, um, well, when she tells, Laurel tells Tyler that he, more than anyone, should understand that two truths are possible, you know, where, where that she can be both mother and chancellor, and what she's referring to is how he can be both Valk and Tyler, Klingon and human at the same time, uh, and so we keep seeing this come out where, uh, People are, you know, different characters are kind of pointing out, like, you're pointing out something about me, but here's something about you that reflects the same thing. Yeah. So Michael and Tyler, and now we Tyler have, and Laurel. We have lots of pots and kettles pointing at each other and commenting on their blackness. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, and she, she, and then she gives this admission, like, look, I know you're not Vok, and I know you never will be again, um, but I do know that you will do anything to protect our son. Yeah, I like the fact I'm I'm down with the fact that that you're always going to love Michael. Right. He will never again be um Volk, which is I hope hopefully that's that's the definitive statement now that we're not yeah. going to have to come back and revisit this. So, uh back to Spock and Burnham, they have uh on their journey, Spock says something interesting. Uh Burnham talks about she's enraged, that she's motivated by rage, <laughs> not just anger. <laughs> You are angry. I'm not angry. I'm enraged. And then Spock says, rage is the enemy of logic. I think that's actually a really yeah. good point. Ooh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, point taken. Yes, and of course, that's the the uh, the Vulcans have learned that. That was what Sarek, uh, why he imposed the discipline of logic was because Vulcans were rage monsters. They had anger management yeah. issues. Sarek. What did I say, Sarek? Sarek. Sarek, yes, thank you. Um, so they find the Section 31 ship uh, by running over a dead crewman in space. <laughs> so yeah, whole crew has been whole crew has been airlocked. Uh, except for one, but has survived, just one. He barely was able to get a suit on. He's uh, Michael's old shipmate from the, the Shenzhou. Oh, how lucky that is that it's him, isn't it? Yeah, so his <laughs> name, Lieutenant Cameron Gant, he was the tactical offer on the, on the Shenzhou. And he actually, it is the same actor. I looked it, it up. And yep. he, he was in the Vulcan Hello and Battle at the Binary Stars. But of course, we didn't know the name then because we didn't know the name of anybody other Any, than Michael, Michael and Saru and Libya. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. So they beam over to the the ship. Uh, which on, is in stasis mode for no apparent reason. 
And they they comment on it like, why is it in stasis? We don't know. We better investigate. Right. And I'm going, it's because it's a trap. <laughs> it's, I'm waiting for, <laughs> waiting for Admiral Akbar to stand up. It's a trap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so uh, Spock, uh, Bernie McCameron beam over. And then the ship takes off with them, leaving the shuttle behind, presumably. What? Can they not land in the shuttle bay? Never mind. You might not want to if you're walking into a trap. You may want to have somewhere that's physically separate you can beam to. That's true. Um, they apparently do get the shuttle back because that's what they go back to uh, Discovery mm -hmm. on at the end of the episode. Then we have. So they're going to try. They discover that the control is infected lots, but not all of the computer system on the ship. And they're going to reboot it and hold down the shift key while they're rebooting <laughs> it to divert control into this other space. This is called booting so into safe mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so huh, Spock, they're running Windows 2200. No. Yeah, well, it might be Mac OS because we've got a safe mode, too. Uh, but uh, but they, they create a, a startup daemon that is free of it. That they're going to they're going to they're going to lure him in there with some bait, the uh, the control. And then once he's in there, because he can't make a copy of himself, he wants the AI is in this little he, hole. Yep. Uh, we'll yep. close the door behind him, and then yeah, we he has can to leave every other every other system he's in, so he can move into this one. Yeah. Yes. Not because how it works. Parallel process for some <laughs> yes. reason. Okay, so we we've discovered now they need two things on this series going forward: a science expert <laughs> and, a, and computer a computer expert. Experts. Yes, yeah. they need someone to tell them how computers work. Talk to the guys from Mr. Robot. They're doing it right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Heck, talk uh, to your IT guys that keep your computers running that you write these episodes on. Yep. Just so, talk to them. <laughs> at this point, I figured out that Cameron is control because I could see oh, that yeah. his veins were colored. Yep. Did you notice oh, that? I didn't, I didn't notice that. I, I could, just figured, oh, he's got to be control. Yeah. Well, the, he had the, um, I was suspicious, but. I could, but he had the, the the coloration of his veins in his neck and his in his face just like mm. Leland did. So that that mm -hmm. was uh, unfortunately Michael figures it out too late, <laughs> and he and he's uh, needs he needs Michael he says to get into Discovery's system. Right. So he's gonna he's gonna infect her. But we get uh, some nice dialogue that gives us some insight into into what Control's motives are. Because uh, she says, look, Control, you were designed to protect life, not destroy it. And he says, well, you know, you got to you got to destroy the village to save it um, by absorbing the sphere data. I will become the purest form of life ever. And thus, by protecting myself, I will be protecting life. <laughs> That's a, a bit of a tendentious reading, but OK, thank you. Control. Well, it. Okay, it's, this AIs could think this. We need to watch out for this possibility. <laughs> it's taking life from the abstract perspective of it, not protecting life as an actual living beings, but taking the, you have to protect the concept of life. Yeah. Let's make sure when we program the AI, folks, make sure we program it right. That we, yeah. life isn't just the abstract idea. We have to protect people. Just the other day, there was a news story, a couple of them, uh, talking about someone had been suggesting that we maybe don't want to teach AI about humor because humor is very subjective and sometimes it involves killing people and AI might decide to start killing people because it thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably, although we, we should teach it sarcasm because there's a lot of that. And if we, if it doesn't learn it, it may take it seriously. Uh, <laughs> so when people yeah. tell, say stuff, uh, 
So I'm, I'm guessing the only way the nanotech can get into people is through their eyeball somehow. Well, some no, they apparently. So this is something I was wondering about because control goes to stab Michael in the eye, just like Leland got stabbed in the eye. And and it's he's got like an a, it's basically a syringe with nanobots in it to infect her. But you could stab her anywhere. It wouldn't have to be the eye, except the eye has the optic nerve, which is a quick way if you can crawl up the optic nerve to get to the brain and infect it. Right. So that makes some kind of sense. But really, if you had nanotech, you wouldn't need this instrumentation at all. I mean, gray goo would would work on anything. And it would so, just go through the pores or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It might take a little longer, but it would achieve the same effect and you wouldn't need the syringe and the eye stabbing part. Which is and what in, it eventually and, and does fa- go to. That's eventually what happens because Michael repeatedly, with Spot comes in, he stops Control from stabbing her in the eye. Uh, he uses the neck pinch and Control says, oh, that would work if I had nerve endings. And then he breaks <laughs> Spock's arm. Right. And Michael starts repeatedly shooting uh, Gant. And then eventually all the gray goo inside of him comes out and is snaking towards her across the floor. And she's shooting back at it with two phasers, one in each hand. So she's badass. And <laughs> and then Spock is Spock saves the day by magnetizing the floor. And, you know, we're really lucky these nanobots contain ferrous metals because the the magnetism traps them. Yep. And that their spacesuit doesn't. Right. Well, like shields, <laughs> like force fields, like do we. OK, but it's something, something. <laughs> yeah, um, I have to say that the the nanotech coming out of Cameron and going after Burnham, that was really creepy. I have to say that uh-huh. was, cool. that was, yeah, that was kind of cool, creepy. Um, it, the, the control does say that Michael is the one variable that it can't account for that mm-hmm. it, it, in its plans. One. Just one, just her. That's it. Well, you know, because she's the red signal. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Stop. There you stop go. Pretending we're stupid. <laughs> so uh, meanwhile, Pike returns to uh, to Discovery with the time crystal. He gives Tyler his tor- the torchbearer signal uh, signet that uh, he had left with their baby and tells them and Laurel their son's name. And but he won't discuss what actually happened. He says that's for me to know. Yeah, although out. he does he does indicate to them that their son is now older than they would have expected. Right. I've talked to him and here's his name is Tanavik. And he guided me. Right, right. And wants you to have this back. Yes. And then uh, we find out that every Section 31 ship has been co-opted by uh, Control now. Well, they don't say everything. So all the 31 ships start uh, pro- start showing up over Boreth to get presumably get discovery and uh saru says that's nearly their entire fleet they also know that leland is still out there and under control right burnham says the only option the only thing we can do is destroy the ship that and she said it right after i thought it okay you need to blow up the ship now right which they should do before but but pike is like let's evacuate first Right, right. Hey, something <laughs> Kirk and everybody else never thought about before they decided to try to destroy the ship. Abandon it, which is he doesn't say he says we we need to evacuate. No, no. You are the captain of a ship. You abandon ship. That's what you say. Abandon ship, not evacuate ship. <laughs> oh, totally different things. Um, And he gives it. He puts out a priority one call to the Enterprise, because, again, it's the only ship that they could possibly uh, call. It's apparently 000. really nearby. Yeah. That you're going to be able to evacuate onto it 
while you're stalling with the Section 31 fleet that just jumped in? We shall see next week, I think. Uh, so he, he does prepare to abandon ship, and uh, and that's where they leave us before next time. And we see in the preview trailer that the Enterprise does show up, and we get the idea that, that Pike is about to return to command of Enterprise. Of the Enterprise. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, we're, we're getting down to the last two episodes, right? Is that what we're going mm-hmm. down to? Yep. It's the last two yes, episodes yep. of the season, so things are going to wrap up uh, soon. Uh, the next episode is called uh, Such Sweet Sorrow, and we know what is Such Sweet Sorrow. According, parting. According to, was it Shakespeare who said that? It's parting is? Yeah. So, someone's parting, and uh, I'm guessing it's at least going to be Pike, if not uh, somebody and else. And Spock. And Spock, that's right. And and maybe um, Nahan. You're right, right. The security chief who came with Pike. Though it'd be him. cool if they left her and right. she was still there in season three. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't have to take her back to the Enterprise. I'm going to guess, just just some throwing out a wild guess here, they don't actually destroy Discovery. Um, that would be kind of hard to have a series not. named Discovery without a ship named well, they Discovery. Could, they could commission a new Discovery. Discovery 2, NCC 1701. B or something. B yeah. or A. <laughs> Whatever the numbers are. Zero three one A. Right. Uh have, have you have you guys ever read the novel Red Shirts by yes. John Scalzi? No. Yes. Yes. So it's it's a it's a brilliant parody of Star Trek. It also has some sketchy content in it. Right. But well, um, but it, it has <laughs> it's it really is a brilliant parody where you have these lower ranking crewmen realize their cannon fodder on a starship that's being filmed in an alternate timeline and they are literally red shirts and <laughs> and 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 what and, but there are these like five key officers that although they get abused in horrible ways they never die and they should have repeatedly right. what happens with these guys they're the main characters and we're not what are we going to do about this we're all vulnerable and one of the first things they think about is, let's blow up the ship. We'll get off it and we'll blow up the ship and that'll be the end of the series. No, it won't work. They'll get a new ship, a better ship. <laughs> and it's like, yes, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it'll be the season finale when they do that. So, uh, yeah, uh, well, it's actually it's so it's possible they could destroy Discovery. That's, that solves the spore drive problem, by the way, uh, if mm-hmm. they do. Um, they could ditch it in the 31st century or something and get a new discovery. Right. Well, that, oh, that might be how they that might be what, what they do is they end up ditching it because because mm-hmm. the, the problem with destroying the uh, discovery is that sphere AI is still in the computer, still protecting mm-hmm. the sphere data. And it, it presumably becomes the Calypso lady computer AI. Well, this is as well. I was exactly. wondering, is it going to try to take control of the ship and prevent them from destroying it? So maybe that's what happens is is that's how Calypso comes about is they abandon the ship in the 31st century with, mm-hmm. uh, without, with that's, I mean, cause that, that was one of the things it says in that, in that short trek is uh, the crew abandoned me, you know, the crew abandoned ship. Right. Mm-hmm. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Oh, maybe that's who we are. Who we're going to lose is the ship itself. That'd be it. Mm-hmm. Well, it'd be kind of an interesting parallel. Cause of course the series started in, in season one, Without discovery, without the ship itself, was on the Shenzo, right? Mm-hmm. And that would be kind of interesting way to end ep- a season two is without the ship because it's been sent to the far future. 
Right, right. Because we we assumed that that short trek was that had been abandoned there for a thousand years. Well, it, it, didn't it say that? I mean, the, the AI, I mean, the ship's computer said that it evolved over the, all that time. Well, I'd have to go back and see exactly what was said, but we don't know the exact year that that occurred. I mean, that could have been the 41st century. And technically, if this is so, if Star Trek Discovery is set in the 23rd century, this would be the, and it's a thousand years, that would be like the 32nd. Right. Okay. Well, all right. So any, so that's plenty of speculation there. We'll find out. <laughs> Anything you'd love to say about this episode? Anything we didn't cover that you, or any notes you wanted to to bring up okay so in that i case, like science <laughs> i still like science uh, so i did we have i did mention we have some feedback we have a couple bits on our last episode uh number 42 perpetual infinity uh we had uh arjun lindaboom uh says on facebook cool name yes it's cool name one of our dutch listeners he says mm-hmm. i just listened to the episode and enjoyed it a lot as always but did you guys miss the sentence struggle is pointless that's what uh, control said to leland that for mm-hmm. me is clearly a nod as to resistance is futile, uh, which I think we did pick that up. That's what we were saying is that yep. that mm-hmm. might be a reference to the to the Borg origin. Well, and didn't they have something like that? No, the, the, it was the replay of the, that part from the previous episode. Yeah, that, where they said that. Yeah, it, it and it could be. Um, it also might not be because it's it's a resistance is futile is itself a trope. Right. Um, and where you have villains who are wanting to make things easy on themselves by telling their victims that they don't even bother resisting. And there are only so many ways to say that. If you go back and like watch the original 1970s or 1980s version of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you have a Vogon, you know, with Ford and uh, and Arthur under each arm. And he's like yelling, resistance is useless. Resistance is useless. And they even talk to them, him about why he says this. It's because it's fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's there's only so many ways to say that. And so given that if you do say resistance is futile on Star Trek, it's going to immediately be taken as a Borg reference. Exactly. If you, if you want to say the same thing, you need to vary the phrasing somehow. Right. You can't use the word resistance, certainly. Uh, there and not in conjunction with feudal, right? But I think even if you use resistance as useless in mm-hmm. this case, people would 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 immediately say, "Oh, it's the Borg." So I yeah. think they're they're making that as uh, as 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 ambiguous as they can, right? Yeah. So and then uh, Bennett Gillespie says, uh, "Did I miss something? Why is the suit that's from almost two decades ago so incredibly advanced technology? Is it like Commander Data? Nobody can recreate uh, the the person's original design." And they kept it secret. I think it, it's so, in, in some way for me, it's it, that's looking at technology as if technology will always be like it is today, where we're constantly advancing by leaps and bounds, mm-hmm. where the technology of 20 years ago looks so dated to us. Mm-hmm. I think that in history, hit a wall. right in history, technology advanced much slower than that. And so you could have periods of time where it's incredibly advanced technology, but it's not jumping ahead that much over a span of 20 years that's from my point of view anyway well and again it's this was you know like a super mega ultra secret squirrel mission where you know no one knew it existed except for section 31 and so it's it's very plausible that the, even the the basic technology they're using to create the suit is something that is unknown and we haven't seen the payoff of of uh i mean i could imagine it took 
two decades to build the suit the first time. And so they may have a second suit in development, um, but it's not ready yet. And given the tiny number of people who are involved in this, apparently. And, and I even guess even from our own time, like if we were able to look into, say, what Lockheed Skunk Works was working on mm -hmm. 20 years ago, it would still seem way advanced over what we have on a normal basis today. Well, think think of uh, like some of the the fighter jets that we have out there, like the F-22s, the F-35s. Those are at best 1990s technology. Right. It that are forever. just now being re <laughs> released. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so what they're what they're producing right now in, in the, these yeah. back rooms, top secret rooms is probably pretty incredible if we saw it right now. I, I'm also constantly amazed because as and this is part of studying for Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and also just because I'm interested in this stuff. But I study, you know, declassified things and I'm always amazed at the same names keep cropping up in these different places. Like the number of actual influencers is really small. And and so it's like, oh, here's Russell Targ once again. And oh, here's Jerome Corsi once again. And um. It, uh, I mean, Philip Corso, Jerome Corso, he's a different guy. Um, but if you like, if two of these people got jumped 950 years in the future, this program would be devastated. There's not another person who can just step into this role. Right, right. Yeah, it'd be like Johnny Ive being sent into the future and no more iPhones uh, being able to be made. And there would be much rejoicing. I mean, oh, sad, oh. sadness. sadness. No more aluminium. So on that note, <laughs> uh, so I think, so thank you both, uh, Arjun and, uh, and Bennett for your feedback on this episode. Yeah. We'd, we'd love to hear uh, other people's feedback. I'll give you the information on that in a second. But before I do, I'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Trek. And today we're thanking by name Steve N., Benjamin B., Stephanie Z., Ray Michelle L., and Kathleen F., through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give. They make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows we do at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that is it from us on, on this episode. What do you think of Through the Valley of Shadows or what we had to say about it? We want your feedback. Please send us your feedback. You can give it to us by going to sqpn.com slash trek or the SQPN Facebook page. You can leave feedback there or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time, like I said, when we'll be discussing the next episode of Discovery, Such Sweet Sorrow. And parting will be Such, uh, such Sweet Sorrow, guys. So until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Tom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. So long, farewell, off Peter, saying good night, and live long and prosper. <laughs> and once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, you're a Starfleet captain. You believe in service, sacrifice, compassion, and love.